Do we know what number this is? Does it matter what number this is? I don't think it matters. Whatever. Nah, numbers. I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> We're going to talk some more Discovery episodes 6, 7, 8. 6, 7, six, seven eight. 8. 6, 7, 8 of season 3 Star Trek Discovery. And what I think a slate. You... Yeah, man, I think you very astutely noted as we were getting ready to start here that we seem to be in this pattern of these three episode arcs that we pick. Yeah. Uh, ending up with one really great one. Yeah. One that's like kind of what, oh, kind of good, yeah. not bad, just like kind of a good normal episode. And then one that's kind of like, ah, geez, why did they do this? <laughs> what did we do here? Uh, not necessarily always in the same order, which is the weird thing, right? You'd think like, Oh, maybe it's like the way they organized who wrote which episodes or something like that. But it's definitely uh, random which ones are which. It feels a little, yeah. And like, obviously not everyone is going to watch it like this. Probably people are going to watch them, you know, a little bit more quickly rather than waiting a month in between. But doing it, we, we have somehow chosen to watch exactly three episodes each month. And then are ending up with <laughs> these little mini arcs of like stuff to talk about. So, I, good good job, us. Good job, yeah. us. Uh, yeah. I. Oh, okay, okay, all right, sweet. I I I had to look up a writing credit because I I want to know who wrote one of these episodes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, all right. Well, let's just get started. It's easy to do the first one, because it's the one that I don't like. Yep. Okay, good. I'm glad we're on the same page. It started off so promising with the... with the. Did it, though? Because the first shot was those stupid little robots that I hate. Oh, that's a good point. Well, I was the liking ver- I was liking the, the <laughs> refit. Yeah, I, it was... A, like, I, the idea is cool, right? Because, oh, like, obviously they're in, you know, the... 38th century or whatever i don't know what the number farther future right right all these ships have cool technology and stuff they should you know they shouldn't be flying around as the like museum ship right they had to overhaul the ship and like (laughs) tackling that early was a good good thing uh i don't know it seems like we were on a good roll there and then the tech they were adding was just like Hey, we have this special effects budget we haven't used yet. Bingo. That is that is my complaint about the whole thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, we're going to update the ship, but actually not really. All we're going to do is give everyone like fancy projector screens, use a different kind of like more hologram stuff, uh-huh. a different kind of view screen. Yeah. Uh, we're going to make the nacelles detached for no reason that I can Because every and- time now that Discovery jumps. Now we have to animate the nacelles moving for some insane reason. Yeah, exactly. It's like not any that doesn't. Also, do you notice they haven't shown Discovery actually do the like jump anymore? They kind of just like, all right, prepare to jump. And then they like cut away and they show it showing. Yeah, it's just black alert. And then we're somewhere else. And uh, well, so let's see. Episode eight. They show their the results of their jump. They they end their jump. Yeah. But, yeah, it definitely they used to have the whole animation for jumping, and they don't anymore. Yeah. It's weird. Uh, uh, wow. But, you know, we, should... we can't upgrade the uniforms because people won't realize they're the Discovery crew. 
Yeah, like again, like not, let's not give them like nanotech uniforms that are also bulletproof and laser proof. Let's just get let them stay out there, you know. Right. Normal cloth or whatever. Yeah. Also, I don't know that they have bulletproof, laserproof stuff, but like you know, wouldn't Starfleet have uniforms to be like wear the normal Starfleet uniform instead of whatever the heck it is you're wearing? Yeah. How would anyone know that you're Starfleet? You would really assume, right? Like they would that would be number one on the list. Was like you, you guys need to dump these for nine hundred and thirty year old uniforms and uh, upgrade here. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so we get through that moment. Also, did you catch that everything is apparently adaptive technology? They said adapt like three times, and I'm starting to consider whether or not they're saying it on purpose because of the Borg. Oh, interesting. Uh, I hadn't considered that angle. I, uh-huh. I this is a working theory. In the lo- this is a long thesis for season four or five. You know what I mean? Okay. This is not a this is not a gonna get tackled anytime soon. But the they said adaptive like four times, and I understand adaptive is a different word than adapt. But like at one point she says, "Oh, the thing will adapt to you," you know. And so it's a little bit on the edge of like, okay, they're saying it so many times, but that's eh, just a working theory. The Borg thing is assimilate, though. It's not the same. Yeah. I guess we'll find out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. The, uh, the thing, <sighs> so, like, okay. Just we have like to talk high, about the story, and I don't yeah, want to, I but know, we have to. I know. The, like, the highest level overview of what, we'll just, like, skim the top of what happens in this episode. Okay. Uh, there's a thing going on. The Emerald Chain is bad. We don't really know what the Emerald Chain is. They haven't done a good job explaining that yet. Yeah, they have. It's the organization Book used to work for. It's the... They're, oh, see, I, I don't think I even know that book used to work for them. I don't think I even realized that. He was that a messenger, told, wow. and then when they went to that place uh, in the first episode with book and, and what's-her-name, and they had the fight and the truth serum and all that, Yeah, they, they were people, running that exchange, the, the Emerald see. Chain. I don't know that I heard that name. It's then. the Orions and the Andorians, and, and they, right. they're the criminal syndicate that kind of run everything, and they have access to all the... Okay. The dilithium that's left in the universe, you know. Supposedly, right? Basically uh, the okay. antagonists to Starfleet. Yeah, so uh, the Starfleet guy's like, we can't just send you out doing stuff whenever you want, so you gotta stay here, and then... Yeah, basically, uh, you, welcome to the future, you're now our strategic reserves. Well, I mean, they do have, like, it does make some sense. For Absolutely! The, I'm not saying it doesn't. The, defending the Starfleet Admiral here, who's also kind of a jerk, but... You know he's yeah. earned the right. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has a he has a ship that can literally go anywhere at any time. It makes sense to wait for a crisis and then send them there. Yep, because they can do that. And they have a crisis brewing with the Emerald Chain, and so he says, "You know, get ready to get into combat." Basically, yeah. And in the meantime, uh, Book's ship shows up and has some kind of like a automated distress call, uh, prompting. Uh, Michael Burnham to be like, well, obviously this means we're going to go save book. So spin it up, Saru. Let's go. We're, we're doing it. Uh, to which Saru is like, nah, dog, we're not actually. Have... Yeah. Those are not our orders. Uh, yeah, I have, I have orders. I'm going to, 
going to be following him. You're going to have to respect that. So yep. sorry there, Michael. Uh, please sit tight. She's like, uh, okay. And then she immediately goes off and starts an unsanctioned mission, taking along long Joe because of course she would. Yeah. It was immediately at that point when Burnham like starts to confront Saru that I was like, okay, they're turning Saru into some kind of captain for real here. And mm-hmm. also, why is Burnham a part of Starfleet? Which, I guess, uh, we well, tackle over these three episodes after this. I, I was going to say, this part of that part of this bothered me while I was watching this episode. But by the end of this arc, I didn't care. So, good job resolving character traits there. Yeah, it was definitely a character trait after... So, this is episode six. And literally, yes. episodes one through six, I've just been like... Why? Why is she part of Starfleet? She obviously doesn't want to follow orders in the. And I still have that question in the long run of like, I don't know. She just doesn't. We'll talk about her later, I guess. Okay. I'm. Let me work on the idea here because I wrote down some ideas later on after episode. Well, we can like get to it. When seven, we get to it because they're yeah. gonna, I think we'll have stuff to talk about with episode seven. And then after eight as well, too. Yeah. So. so the Giorgio Burnham buddy show happens, which is basically all I ever need. I mean, the I just want to point out, I think this part of this episode was just a giant homage to Running Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With the, the defense grid that blows up your head, which is literally the thing from yeah. Running Man. It's like completely that. The prison breakout, you know, it's all that's all Running Man, you know? Yeah. Recast the book as Arnold Schwarzenegger, and it's the same movie. Dude, I would watch. The guy that I don't know his name. Whoever plays book, I would watch him do do Running Man. Yeah, that would be awesome. He should play. He would do it. I would watch it. I would watch it. It would be that would be fun to watch. Yeah. Okay. Um, You know, so so you know they're doing that thing. Um, They make a prison breakout. Philippa is like you know acting as the haughty evil overlord, and so they can get in to get to book to get to a. Uh, MacGuffin. Black the MacGuffin. box. Okay, yeah, it's a black box. I didn't From, remember what it was. I just wrote it, down. Obviously, we need a MacGuffin. Oh, it, so basically, like the long term, you know, story of this season is going to be what caused all the dilithium to blow up. We have to answer it, and oh. because you know, I that to. wasn't clear already. Yeah, yeah, and so the uh, there's going to be many a MacGuffin. You know, so every episode is yeah. going to have a small goal related to finding info about this sort of thing. And uh, one of them is exactly what I feared, and the other ones are fine. This one's fine. Black boxes mm. make sense. They would, ha- sure, they would yeah. have them. Yeah, right? Yeah. So uh, they do that thing. You know, Book is all uh, prisonered up in there. There's some, uh, you know, they're doing the whole, showing clearly that these people are bad. It's not just like, they're not just making these people prisoners. They're making them slaves. Yeah. They're implanting chips in their neck. They're doing yeah. the whole thing. It's all these people are all very bad, and these are the Orions, right? The- yeah, that's the Orions, and the and so the Orions are green, and the Andorians are blue. Are blue. Andorians uh, were founding members of the Federation, so it's weird that they're part of this. And then the Orions um, were not part of the Federation, uh, at least. In any show that we've seen, I don't think. Uh, what's yeah. her name from uh, the animated show? The good the animated lower show. Decks. Uh, lower Decks. Lower Decks is an Orion that talks yeah. about how most of her people are still 
kind of criminals uh, yeah. and slavers, but she isn't and others aren't. So I don't know what's going on there, if they eventually joined the Federation or not. It sounds like the Federation basically took over everything at one point. Um, well, who knows? I mean, the, the future of the show between then and this time, yeah. I feel, is intentionally left vague. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's okay. Um, Anywho, uh, we meet the nephew of Osira, the, the leader of this Emerald Chain group, who is running this place, and he's a real jerk bag. Which again, yeah, fits, seems, seems to fit the, the theme here. All these people in this syndicate, not great people. Yeah. Uh, so they decide to stage a uh, prison break to get book out, uh, and so they do that. Interesting and... name for Osira, considering Osiris was. Kind of like a good deity, I guess, maybe roughly in the uh, the Egyptian pantheon. In the Egyptian right? pantheon, right? Like, yeah, I I don't remember what. I don't pretty, remember. What I'm he pretty was, sure Osiris is the the right? agriculture one, which makes a little bit of sense because she's running around the galaxy helping planets, quote unquote, helping planets with their agriculture problems but um yeah yeah i don't know maybe maybe there's some thematic uh i would stuff there you know what email us uh podcast at we were com if you can kind of lay out for us because i'm sure there's a reason they chose osira uh there's a there's so much about the egyptian pantheon that i would not know and why yeah. they would choose I, this name. I was just going to say, I'm like extremely not smart about anything related to like ancient Egypt religion. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, they do that. Uh, I think the, the only other stuff that is really interesting to talk about from this, I, there's a couple things, I guess. Uh, Stamets is led into the idea that uh, Odira sees the other, her boyfriend as a ghost. You know, I don't know that it's important that she saw that she, he's let into about seeing the boyfriend, right? It's it's a more about the Adira and Stamets relationship is getting good. Like they're going to have a good relationship kind of thing. That, that was, you know, she's confiding in him, letting him, letting him into her little circle. We can skip talking about it later on because we could talk about it here because eventually, uh, gray goes away. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, and again, it's not clear if that's permanent or intentional or, you know, or what. Uh, they're kind of leaving it mysterious, but also trills are mysterious. So, yeah, uh, you but know, it seems like she's starting to get along uh, pretty well with Stamets as like a fatherly type figure, if not actually like a father figure. Um, I hope that the gray disappearing thing is about exploring the nature of the dual they don't really do that yet with her like they did in DS9 a lot, which is like, this is all of us and we are one kind of thing. And obviously um, Adira later on uh, clarifies that she is not she, she's they. So we, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of that type of personal exploration. I think maybe having gray disappear is the beginning of that. I don't know. Could be. I don't want to overstep because I, I don't really 
it's like not my area of expertise so sure certainly and, and you know i think it's anyway I, I just think it's nice to see uh stamets and odira getting a little you know yeah as long as it's friendly. not a the only relationship they have is so like stamets relationships mm-hmm. tilly is maybe the best one that he has and the rest of them are very singular Right, like in terms of their purpose, even his relationship for me with um, his hus- almost husband uh, <laughs> with the doctor is kind of like one note sometimes. Like it's always he gets wise counsel from this person, he poops on that person, the other engineer gives him crap. Like there's like. Mm. And so I hope the Adira thing is so we can open up his character a lot. It would be good. I don't know. Okay, jailbreak. Burnham. Let's talk about Burnham at the end here. She she is contrite at the end and says she's sorry. Which, of course, like, is not going to be good enough. Well, she's not sorry. Like, the way she's written... The way she has been written since episode one, season one. Yeah. She did what she thought was right. She does this every time. And so they have created a character here. And maybe this is the point. Who has a major problem with fixation on what is quote unquote the right way and what she will do and what should be done. And it does not, at this point, gel with her her quoted, stated position of Starfleet being her main objective, right? And that does get tackled later, but at the same time, I'm not sure I'm satisfied because she keeps doing this stuff. And, like, there was no chance when Saru was made into captain by her that she was ever going to listen to him. And so I don't understand why anyone around her feels her contrition. Yeah. I'm confused and a little bit off put by the lack of awareness about who her character has been for three seasons. Yeah. I mean, like, look, this isn't the first time she's been completely insubordinate and was then afterwards rewarded for the insubordination, right? That has happened earlier in this show as well. Yeah, at least she wasn't rewarded this time, I guess. Yeah. I, uh... I don't know, man. It was never gonna work having her be XO. I don't understand that. And I guess that's Saru's inability or inexperience in being a captain. Yeah, and I think that's actually the only reason they had her as XO as this little, like, mini arc. Okay. Is because it shows that Saru didn't actually know what the right thing to do or the right person to have as the number one is. I also don't agree with his second choice, although she seems better at it. I mean, I think you can't really be worse choice than Burnham. <laughs> literally pick the exact wrong person. Yeah, the person Michael that has Burnham. done it before and failed before, right? Like, I mean, like, the idea that she's done it before and failed before is fine, but her as a person, as a character... Yeah. Is not a good choice for that job. Yeah. She's I mean, not 
She's the person who's going to constantly be contradicting the captain, which is part of something that's part of the first officer's job, but it isn't like the primary thing. She's also constantly going to be off doing whatever it is that she wants to do that isn't necessarily what the captain tells her to do. She will certainly have a lot of wise counsel to give to the captain, which is a good thing. Yeah. But, I mean, not but, everyone's Will Riker, right? Like, Right, exactly. We got you know, to like, assuage ourselves of the theory that everyone is Will Riker when it comes to being an XO. But at the same time, like, she was on this this universe for a year before they showed up. She gave up Starfleet. I don't understand what makes her think in these episodes, even after the Kuat Malat, why she wants to stay there and follow orders. I, she doesn't follow orders. She has never followed orders. Right. And now that's the thing, right? And now that she's in the future where she knows more than everyone, she's go- it's going to be impossible for her to follow orders. And in- even in the last episode, they find a way around following orders for her. Right. It's just I frustrating. Mean, it, it is some of this is inherent in the show and her being the main character, right? Like, sure. Absolutely. We're going to end up having to do the thing that she wants to do because this is in some ways her show and her story. You know what the so, worst part about all this is? She would be, it would all be acceptable if she was captain. Yep. I was just going to say that. Yep. It's I like, mean, if this is, if the solution is that this is the problem, like if this is the problem, you should have made her the, the captain and then she can do all this stuff and it's way less problematic, right? Everything is I mean, solved I, if she has the authority of a captain because she can say, well, it's captain's authority. I didn't all the way break the rules, but at the same time I had to break the rule. I mean, like, she is she's not as cocksure, but she's definitely on the Kirk path of like, I'm gonna do what I want and I'll end up an admiral anyway. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, it certainly feels like that, right? <laughs> and you know, Starfleet is a uh what's the accepts all kinds, you know. I'm sure, sure. they get people like this. Mm-hmm. And Kirk was a revered figure by many people, so you know well, and hey, the, even the Admiral uh the Starfleet Admiral in the future says you know, Saru, you should have seen the value in what she was saying. He does. He's like, you know what? It actually, like, this was a potentially a good thing, right? Yeah. Like, that there was value in this and yeah. getting this transponder w- could be very useful to us. We'll see. We got to analyze it or whatever. Um, But also, like, yeah. Everything you guys did here was he basically tells everybody what they did was wrong in that scenario. But, hey, it worked out. But at the same time, like, he... I like him. I got to learn his name because I like, I I really like him. He's a good, he's a good written, well-written admiral. Um, He does the thing that is good, that uh, good admirals do in Star Trek shows where they show up to be disciplinarians and they, they show up to sort of be like, Hey, here's the overarching conflict. You captain have to go solve this for us. And also they're very good repositories for wisdom of other on other characters, especially him, right? He's been in this universe longer than Burnham. He's, you know, he's survived Starfleet fracturing and all that sort of stuff. So, so, and he has, and he has information about like things going on elsewhere in the galaxy. Maybe that discovery doesn't. Sure. But, but he's allowed to be, he's allowed to be that wise character because he knows more than they do. So, yeah. 
Um, I think she takes off her badge at the end of this, and I wish she had quit. But uh, we don't get that, and that's okay because episode seven. Yeah, they de- they demote her back to chief science. Officer oh yeah, that yeah. chief that. chief uh, science officer. Okay. <laughs> I uh, episode seven, man. Uh, I I want to know what your opinion just off the top is of your head of episode seven. Yep. This is easily my favorite of the three. This one was great. I think this is my favorite so far, possibly in the series, but definitely in this season. Yeah. yeah there are so many references in this to other Star Trek that I'll try and fill us in as we go on the story of it. But like starting off the top, it's called Unification 3. Which is a callback to the fact that there was an episode called Unification 1 and 2. In TNG. TNG. Yeah. Uh, Michael mentions Spock at the beginning of this. And it's weird to me, but it is addressed later that she has never looked up Spock before now. Yeah. Uh, And to see what happens. She says later, I I didn't let myself look him up. I didn't want to know what happened to him. Which is odd. I don't know why. You wouldn't do yeah. that. I mean, I don't know. It's a that's one of those things where like some people maybe would deal with a loss or something like that by not wanting to look at it. I could I could understand not wanting to find out, right? Yeah, I guess with where the universe is at, right? Like he's obviously passed. It's there's no way he's still alive, and Starfleet isn't some mecha organization or like you know, some shining beacon on a hill anymore. So she can go like, ah, Spock's probably responsible. I should look this up instead. It's like, Oh my God, everything's falling apart. And if you consider for the year that she was with book, they probably didn't have a lot of time to be sitting around looking at archives. Yeah. Uh, and you know, once they get back to Starfleet with discovery, are those like, is she super enamored with them enough to be like, let me see the historical archives and see how things got so great. Like probably not. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Starfleet it, has analyzed all the info. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they talked about three ships and succession blowing up at different times, even though it was several milliseconds or, you know, microseconds or whatever they say. Yeah. Uh, it is different times, which means there's a point of origin for the destruction of all the dilithium in the galaxy. Not that it happened instantaneously. They right. a quote unquote account for all the reasons and including the ships being hundreds of light years apart and all that sort of stuff. Right. Uh, one of the ships, by the way, is the Yelchin, which okay. is uh, Anton Yelchin, who played Chekhov in the new movie series, just so you know. Oh, very cool. Yeah which I thought was a cool little reference. There are so many of those in this, like so many. So I'm going to shout out the writer later when we talk about some stuff. Okay. Uh, But anyway, the ships Uh, are are destroyed in sequence. And then we find out about SB 19, JJ. Yeah. Andrew, what don't, don't you love SB 19? No, I don't understand what, I don't understand why we haven't talked about the fact that, the Vulcans made Stargates before now. The secret webway portal made by the Elvish race doesn't seem like something you'd want to know about. Oh, very good. Nice Eldar reference there, buddy. 
I think that's literally what it is, though. Am I wrong? I think it's you're not close, wrong. Right? I'm, yeah. You're not wrong. Yeah. They tried to yeah. create some sort of series of networked. In, yeah. I, I looked at it because of the picture. I was like, that's a Stargate. <laughs> oh, the picture of it does look like a. I mean, it's got the swirling whirlpool middle and then it's, cir- right. you know what I mean? Like it, it has, it has that kind of a look. For it's sure. literally circular. It's, they didn't even be like, well, why does it have to be circular? Just build a square. Right. Or like build anything like why? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it uh, does look like a Stargate. You're right. Yeah. But you're right. It's definitely got to be an Eldar reference, right? I think so. Yeah. Uh, I think I think it is even if they didn't know that when they wrote it. Uh, and anyway, off the top of my head, I, be they did it because apparently everyone was running out of dilithium. Uh, well, so th- this the explanation the admiral gives later yeah. is that and like you know we're we're kind of like cruising through the first like third of the, the episode. We got to cruise like, because there's so much that happens in the middle and end. Totally, totally. And the uh, but the admiral's like, hey, you know. We everyone saw the dilithium problems, and we were out, out mining the supply or whatever. We were all kinds of people were coming up with ideas. The Vulcans came up with this thing; they didn't want to keep doing it. Federation ordered them to keep doing it, and then it went bad, and they then are mad about it. Pretty much, yeah. So the Vulcans, basically, like. They'd, without saying it here, you can tell the Vulcans think they caused the burn. Right. Because of this SB-19. Because project. of this project, they think, oh, they made us blow up the universe and therefore we're going to hide our shame and withdraw. I think we've glossed over here that they just drop on you the fact that the Romulans have moved in on Vulcan. Yeah. So they they totally do just drop that in. Uh, um. Which so, Burnham and Saru are shocked by, uh, naturally. Right? We are not they, shocked, however, as viewers of Picard. Right, because we knew that that was underway or something that was being considered then. Uh, uh, kind of, yeah. It, so uh, There's stuff to talk about on the outside of this once we get a little further. Um, but they've the Romulans have moved in and they've changed the name of the planet from Vulcan to Nivar. Which I think is a... Does the Admiral say here that it's some kind of, like, ancient word for when the two... Before the split of the two races? That's what he says. It is, however, a direct pull from a 1976 story written by Leonard Nimoy about the duality of Spock. His emotional side and his logical side being split. And it's... that story is named Navar. Yep. Or is it just a? The story's name is Navar. Is that an episode title or something? No, no, no. It's just a short story that Leonard Nimoy wrote oh, about wow. Spock, and they Very they turned it into a. a thing. Man, that's so cool! I love knowing this stuff. That's like, that is awesome. Well, I was like, how how do you rename the planet Vulcan to Navar? I have to look up. This has to be some sort of reference to something. And yeah, you just search Navar and it brings up a book. And in the book is a short story by Leonard Nimoy called Navar. Huh. Yeah. Well, uh, we also see in another cool nod to old stuff, uh, a as Burnham is looking up what happened to Spock and all of that, they literally play a clip of Leonard Nimoy in Unification 2, probably? Yeah. 
I love that it says it's from the files of Jean-Luc Picard. Who was in that episode. Of right? course he Talking was, yeah. With Nimoy at this time. It's great. And, uh, yeah, and it's a, you know, a little hologram of, of Spock's face talking about, you know, the, the unification of them and how long it might take hundreds of years and all of these things. But, you know, eventually they will. Uh, and that was his goal and all this stuff. Yeah. And, and obviously so that's an early, that's an early take on what Spock's goal with the Romulans is. And then, um, you know, we'll have to talk about, you know, the Romulan homeworld and all that in a minute. Uh, yeah. Saru promotes... Well, Tilly. Yeah. yeah and I, okay. I just want to talk about this a little bit. We got to say, uh, Saru, bud, you are in a thing that has like ranks. Yeah. You know, sure enough. And, and, and typically the, the captain has a lot of authority, you know, uh, which is good. They should let the captains have authority, but, uh, you know, the ranks do mean something. And generally, yeah. uh, when you, kind of ignore the ranks a bunch people in the other ranks don't like it and they kind of get very angry typically but jj they all stand in the engine bay and say that she should take it she should do it i know yes 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 andrew i i this is like saru dumb decisions part two although although i don't know like i i think they are uh i think the show is trying to say that this is a good decision uh, the show is definitely trying to say this is a good decision, especially in episode eight when mm-hmm. Rin walks into the room and she she body checks him so fast. That was a great moment. Yeah, <laughs> not gonna lie, he's like, I need to speak to the, which one of you two is the captain. And she's like, he's like, uh, uh-uh. sit down and shut up, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so good. Uh, all right, we're back on topic a little more, but yeah. the, I, I oh, I don't know. We're talking about Tilly, whatever. I think the. I think they did this because they ran out of ideas for Tilly's character. I agree with you because now we have Adira and Adira is smarter than Tilly. So Adira is going to solve all the problems, right? Right. Yep. So what is Tilly left to do? Exactly. And so they have to, they had to come up with a new arc for Tilly. And I, I mean, they've, they've also now mysteriously made the other engineer disappear again. Which one? The, the smarmy engineer is now doing, Oh, uh, yeah, Janet Reno. What is she, did she die or leave? I don't know. Uh, Janet Reno's character is the most superfluous thing they've ever com- uh, contrived on this show because she literally only shows up to snipe at Stamets in the middle of solving a problem other people mm-hmm. can solve. Yep. Yeah, and she wasn't in the big, uh, the big like happiness room saying nope. Tilly should to nope. do it either. Right? Completely or- missing. Yep. I don't know. I mean, maybe she's gone. I'm going to look it up. Maybe she's gone. Did we forget that she left and stayed on one of the stations or something? Um, okay. Yeah, well, I have no I have no anyway, clue. Jet I, Reno, I think, not Janet Reno. <laughs> Janet uh, Reno is a real person. Former Attorney General Janet yeah, I'm pretty Reno. sure, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, well, you know, you can see where our heads are. Um, I, uh, Okay, it's still talking about Tilly here. I... No, she's still on the ship. Okay, great. She's just uh, not around. Nah, great. Whatever. Cool. Uh, she's busy. Uh, great. Uh, I kind of don't... I understand they needed to find something for Tilly to do. I think this is an okay idea for 
to like have Tilly explore being a leader. I don't think this is a good way to do it. And I don't think that like I, I don't think the character has earned it, and I think that if Starfleet were a real thing, they would absolutely not ever do this. Clearly, they're playing fast and loose on Discovery currently because it's a family. You know what I mean? Uh, and it's and it's the like ultra future, so apparently the rules don't matter anymore. Well, yeah, and so because of all that, we sidestep all the. Hey, these people have experience at this rank and maybe make quicker decisions, but I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. I, I don't. Yeah. There's I, nothing we can do well, about it. I know. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about all the other stuff we like about this episode. Let's I'm talk about the good like it. stuff. All right. So they have to go to Navarre, and so uh, we we want to get the data. Yeah. Got to go be an ambassador. Right. See, they won't give us the SB19 data, but we need the SB19 data because all those Stargates had a uh, had sensors, sensors them, and so we could triangulate the source of the burn in five minutes. Discovery can now solve everybody's problems in five minutes. For hundreds of years, that's, that's the solution to this show. Discovery shows up, solves your hundred-year-old problem in five minutes. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, that happens again. <laughs> Uh, it happened every episode this season so far. Yeah. So. Yep. Yep. Century old problem. Solve it in five minutes. Discovery. <laughs> so uh, she but- uh, she's a graduate of the Vulcan Science Academy and tells off the president of Navarre by saying she invokes her rights to see the data through trial by mental combat. It do basically, <laughs> uh, which I love this conceit. Sure. I think this is an awesome idea for an episode. Sure. The trial by logic. Let's have the, uh, by the way, which is hilarious that they call it the trial by logic because basically no logical arguments are used and it's all emotional arguments the entire time. And the, the guy with all the logical <laughs> arguments literally won't listen. Yeah. 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 I so, loved it. so she I has to it. abandon the logical argument and just be like, but I, I love people and I want to solve problems. I'm a good person. You have to believe me. We're like, why should we believe you? You're kind of a jerk and don't do what people tell you to do. Yeah. She's like, well, uh, yeah. So yeah, Yeah. no, (laughs) great. It's great. This whole episode was easily the best thing. So saw in this out of three. Here's like, you said it's the best of all of this season so far. And I don't know if I can disagree. The minute, the minute they hit Navarre, this episode becomes great. Like, literally great. And uh, so now we have to shout out and talk about stuff outside the show. Okay. Kirsten or Kirsten. I don't know which of the two. Bayer. Bayer? Is the writer of this. She is a prolific Star Trek writer outside of TV and is the co-creator of Picard. Oh, man. You could tell that. And so we get things like the Coat Milot, which is a huge part of Picard. Yeah, I know. I wrote that on here. Uh huh. That makes sense. Yep. You get a lot of references to Picard and other stuff like that. And this right here is the reason they should have made that book into the show. Yeah. Because so much of this stuff in that book. And in the, so if you liked the stuff that was in here that is from Picard, that's that's the stuff in the book. 
that's the stuff that's missing from that Picard show that they just gloss over and they're like, look at these Kuat Malat people. And then they bring in the guy with the sword and that's all you know about the Kuat Malat really. But like all the stuff that has happened so far in this episode that you like Spock going to the Romulans and trying to solve their problems and eventually falling into a black hole or whatever, you know, like that is in that book, the Romulans and the Vulcans needing to, to work together to survive and like how hard it was for the Romulans to leave their home world. That's in that book. The Coatmilat is a huge part of that book because he, as Picard needs their help in convincing the Romulans to do stuff. There's so much of that, that they should have just made that damn book into, <laughs> into the first season of that show. Wow. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so, do they let humans? Do they let humans join the Kuat Milan, Andrew? Uh, well, so at the time, at the time, right, there was supposed to be Romulan women only, and they explained that in that book. Um, I can't remember his name, but the boy was not technically Kuat Milan. He was raised by them. And he considered himself to be one of them, but they allowed him to leave and help Picard on his mission because he wasn't technically, although, you know, he saw himself as that. And that's why he bound himself to Picard. Like she, uh, the mom you're talking about here, whose name I can't even remember. They don't say it. (laughs) Something Burnham. You assume? Uh, I guess by the future, they've relaxed the rules a little bit. At least she's a woman, and therefore you get the idea that... But, like, the idea... Oh, man, so good that, like, hey, look, the Kuat Malat from Picard are the only reason that these people are getting along, because truth is both logical, you know, can communicate to both the logical and the emotional, right? Uh, And I think the... Even the Vulcan, or the... I don't know what she is. The the president of Navarre says that the Kuat Malat were essential because neither side could trust each other, right? The Romulans were distrustful of everyone all the time anyway, mm-hmm. and the Vulcans were double especially distrustful of the Romulans. And so, you know, the Kuat Malat, whose whole thing was absolute, absolute candor and, yeah. and being truthful all the time, you know, to a fault, were useful in that you could get a co-op lot to mediate <laughs> yeah and and be and believe that it's gonna be they're gonna tell you the truth right which is uh, a process that happens here in the middle of this trial as burnham's mom throws her directly under the bus with some truth <laughs> she uses truth she her mom doesn't break the rules or even bend them but she definitely no, uses I'm not... truth yeah to force people to see things they don't see. And that's what Kuat Malat is supposed to do. So you yeah. see, you're seeing what Kuat Malat are supposed to do. They don't do it as much in Picard. They're much softer hand with Picard because he's much, he's much more logical and even keeled than these people, than most people that Kuat Malat work with. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, I have a lot of, uh, damn it, damn it, damn it's in here. 
because Saru is turning into a good captain. I mean, what's wrong with that? I think we want him to turn into a good captain, I right? I know, but like, no. I'm just remembering season one Saru and how every time I groaned when he was on the screen. It's true. That's a, but that's a character arc, Andrew. That's I, what we want. I understand, but... I don't know who came up with the idea, but they're doing a good job of me hating myself for liking the fact that very, <laughs> very clearly in this episode, Saru is going to be the person that repairs relations with people, not Burnham. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah, Burnham gets the data, but Burnham would never have gotten nearly as far as Saru does with the president of Vulcan and her... Uh, enjoyment of conversation and fulfillment of of you know well ideals I, think the, I guess and I think it's a good it's a good like uh, two sides to a thing right like the right. the the president is there in the audience of this uh, this trial thing whatever they call it logic trial and uh, you know Burnham is up there basically getting uh, hosed. You know, yeah, getting getting logicked down yeah. by non-logical arguments from these three Vulcan elders who all, you know, and her mother... Well, two explains, of them are Romulan, so... Right, and the, 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 and the mother explains, like, hey, all these people have their own own agendas and all their, their own things, and all of their agendas are against what you want, yeah. so... No matter which, have a tough, which really angle. Tough time. <laughs> and, you know, so the... And, you know, then her mom, you know, brings up, well, like, why should we trust you? You have all these, like, you know, problems that you have and you don't really know why you're here and causes Burnham to do some self-reflection and then, you know, get some really good character development out of her. Uh, And meanwhile, you know, Saru and and the president are sitting there and the mom mentions kind of as an off thing, which you don't realize is really the the Kuatmulat seat sees the whole picture here where Burnham is focused on the trial and the show wants you to be focused on the trial, right? Right. Where there is actually quite a bit more going on here. And the mom is relatively certain, I think, that Burnham will never succeed in the trial, right? Oh, she's absolutely right. And and she is right. And is that is borne out at the end. And yet Burnham still gets what she wants. Right. And because she the says there's knew. there's two audiences in the room, right? Right. There are more people watching than just these counselors in the trial. Right. And I don't think Burnham understands the whole situation. But because Saru has been there talking with the president, making her feel welcome, understanding the Federation has all these good things involved. And then she sees in the trial, you know, Burnham come to understand the reason that she supports the Federation and why she actually is here and all this stuff. And then she withdraws her complaint at the end, right? Saying that, like, actually, you know what? I would, I withdraw the need for this trial. We're, you know, I don't need to cause the fracture by like causing the Romulan guy to underhand the other two or whatever was going to happen there. Um, you know, she lets everyone save face, right? By there's definitely what they what they show here is that Burnham recognizes that her totalitarian, I need to get what I want. Because my way is the way that I will I will be the Federation versus the Federation's ideal is coexistence. And if the thing that I want 
is going to fracture or destroy coexistence. If I am a true believer in the Federation, then I can't cause that damage. And that is the duality missing from, from the captaincy of Saru and if Burnham were a captain, right? Like Mm -hmm. these two, like you're saying are a tandem of what the best captains in Starfleet have shown us in two separate people, which is why they, if she weren't the character she was written to be, would be a good XO because she would be able to balance my dog is snoring. Uh, uh, she would be able to balance Saru's lack of fire in a certain way. Right. Um, and so the realization that she cares more about the ideals of Starfleet than she does about this burning question that she broke the rules for one episode ago. Right. Now, I don't know if it's because of Starfleet. I I wonder if it's because of Spock, right? She obviously, they invoke Spock a lot in this episode. And at one point says, this is not what my, she says that. And so that's why she withdraws is this is not what my brother would have wanted. She, you know, like at the beginning invokes Spock and says, my brother would say truth above or, uh, you know, scientific knowledge above everything else. Like if you're a follower of his teaching, but at the same time, I can't dishonor his final desire to put you guys together and let you survive just to have this information. We can find a different way. Yeah. I think it's a... I'm curious what the thesis is here. It's well written. Well, I, I think the I think the ending is... It's sort of the ending moral is by being selfless and giving up what you want, you end up getting what you want in the end. Right? And that is the, like that, that is the kind of payoff I want to see in this show, as opposed to ones we've seen in the past where it's like charging in and doing bad stuff sometimes gets rewarded. Here, you know, doing the right thing, which is saying like, okay, actually, I can't cause this minor civil war on on Navarre. I need to, you know, I we need to step away for the good of these people, and that. It's just the right call, right? Is and then later, then the right call being rewarded, you know, with diplomatic access or whatever. Later, is the way that you ideally want these things to happen. Yeah, there was no, there was no espionage mission. There was no fighting. There was nothing in this episode yeah. that is the hallmarks of discovery. This yes, episode, why it was great. <laughs> this episode is a TNG episode. Yeah, it, through it, and it through. The whole episode is people talking, people, it, and there, and it's not you know characters having tension with each other. There was no, there was no fist fight in this episode, right? There was no action scene, and yet it was a tense episode, right? You don't need to have explosions and lasers and fighting in order to have excitement and tension. Yeah, you can have tense moments, like when Burnham and her mom confronting each other in that hallway or burn them in front of those counselors where the room is tense. The mood is tense. The characters are tense because of the situation and no one has to pull out a phaser. It's great. Yeah. It's wonderful. Um, I think 
the the moments with her mom, especially at the end, I was I frustrated with, and I was wondering if I was frustrated because she didn't she didn't feel like a mom most of the episode. Like absolutely not, yeah. And she, but then I thought about season two. She also never felt like a mom there either. So it kind of tracks, right? Like she's definitely more interested in causes. And so I kind of understood at the end, Burnham, both Burnhams are almost the same. Her mom was solely and only dedicated to the time travel, stopping the the future problem, right? And then mm-hmm. when she recovered, she's solely dedicated again to something else. And that is Burnham's issue and has been Burnham's issue the entire time, right? Ah, this is exactly the problem. And I'm going to focus only on it and nothing else matters. I mean, in some ways, writ large, that is our problem with this show sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. and, And maybe we're finally discovering why, which is unless it was Pike for a few episodes, there's really no one in this show that gut checks anybody else on their bad decisions. Yeah. 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 I think you're right about that. Yeah. I, man, I don't know. I, I don't want to make it sound like we're being too critical here of this episode. Oh, I, I, I'm not critical of it at all. I, uh, I think that even the stuff that, that I, I was thinking when I was frustrated by stuff, I was frustrated in the moment because of the characters. And then when I reflected on it later, I I understood, I think that there is a major thesis here. Mm -hmm. Um, of, of talking about who Burnham is by using her there. They obviously chose the mother for a reason, right? They could have chosen any Kawat Malat and the Kawat Malat probably could have, in a conversation assessed Burnham's issues and used them against her to create the same thing. It could have been anybody. Like they didn't, they absolutely had no need for it to be her mother. And so using the mother makes it a reflection of herself because at the end she says, you know, I haven't been able to ever tell you this, but you know, you know where to find me, but I've given everything to be Kawat Malat now. And so, yeah, it's a cathartic moment, but like, it's also a, a mirror of who Burnham could be versus who she's going to choose to be. Right. So maybe finally, after three seasons, we do get a change in her decision-making and her overwhelming desire to only do what she chooses to do even if it's against mm-hmm. Starfleet regulation and rules and all these things, you know? Yeah. I, I, yeah, man. I think you really hit the nail on the head there. I don't, I don't know what else to say about that. <laughs> I, think I think that's right. Yeah. I, it's a great episode. I, it's fantastic. Even, yeah, I even, really, really, really like this one. Even the like, I, actual frustration of watching Tilly ask if she should take the XO job. It's like, if you're going to be in charge of people, you can't ask them if you should be in charge of them. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, oh, it, <laughs> whatever. We'll leave that whole thing out. Uh, it was good, and I think the, I, 
it's so many parts of this episode that I like. And I think this episode made me feel good about watching even the next episode, which I think I liked less. But I still felt good about it because I liked that last one so much. Sure. I don't think this is the worst of the three. Um, but it's... There's, they, they need to do some stuff with some characters and some plot. And so we get what we get here. I think, you know what I mean? I think it's just, I think it's just, this is like a, not a filler, but like a, a vehicle for moving the story forward a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So Giorgio seems angrier than before. Yeah. She's pretty mad in this one because she's having problems probably with the fact that the universes are split apart. And so she's degrading or something. I don't know. It seems to be where they're going with this. Yep. Osira, we finally meet her in person. She uses a trance worm to eat her nephew. So very mean, mean lady. The guy's leg pops off. Gross. Yeah. Uh, I have a real life question. Related to this show, but also in real life, because I've been watching the show Narcos. Okay. Why do people run organizations like this, this way, where, like, everyone lives of in fear of being killed all the time? It seems mm. like not the the right way to do this. Like, A, why would you ever work for these people? And B... Why would these people always not end up dead all the time? Which they kind of do. Uh, I mean, Andrew, are you asking, like, why warlords exist? I don't think that's like a... I'm not I'm not here to... I don't to, understand like, the mental nature of why warlords exist, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, so the, I, I, think the, I think the thing you're not getting is these people are psychopaths. I, yeah. You have, to, you have to be a kind of a person who thinks, A, I am better than everyone else. Right. Okay. A lot of people think they're better than other people. That's not too far of a stretch, right? Yeah. The next, the next step beyond that, though, is that I am so much better than all these people. I will take everything they have because I want it, right? Mm-hmm. And then use them so completely, use them that they are literal, you know, slaves. Which is what she does to these some of these worlds. It seems like, and like those people, like. She at that point doesn't care what happens to those people. She has no thought for what happens. Yeah, to so them, right. So people around these people work right, like with guns and weapons and all these types of things, right? And it just takes one of them to be like, "Well, this person's a psychopath," and they turn around and, and that's the end of it, right? And and considering, you know, she offs her own nephew here. You'd think like, "Well, I'm just a peon that I barely get paid." I probably either need to take this, per- you know, like, where is the logic of like, oh, well, that person died, but I'll be fine. I mean, do you think these people want to work for them? No, but at the same time, like, if you've got the access and the opportunity, I don't understand why these people don't end up dead faster. Oh, I see. You're just saying they should, the, the turnover rate on the warlord stuff should be quick. Yeah, I just don't understand how warlords make it so long without somebody just being like, well, if they're going to kill me, I'll just kill them first. You know, I think it's a, uh, I think you're right, but the warlord is the one who kills everyone first, usually. Yeah, but so, like, the more they do that, right, so the, you, the less I would. Just in, and then you just install 
around you, people who are fully beholden to you in all ways, so that they have no. If they if that person backstabs you, they then have nothing. I guess. Right. I just don't get it the psychology a, of it. I, I and it's like Andrew, it's a it's, personal failing. Clearly, somebody it, somewhere no, has is written it, a is book. It a personal failing? No, it means that you're a good person, right? <laughs> I'm sure you someone somewhere has written a book on psychology of why this type of stuff happens, but you can't you can't understand why someone would want to be such a horrible kind of a person. Well, That's a good thing. And but also like why the people around them just take it. Like, okay, you know your aunt's coming. You and know most she's of the pissed off at you. Around them aren't good people, I think. You know you know she's a psychopath and that you failed. You should probably plan for the fact that she's going to off you. Look, this nephew isn't the sharpest tool in the shed here either. Let's sure. be clear. But like, if I worked for a warlord, which I would not do, but if <laughs> if we're headed down oh, this wow. path, strong statement there. <laughs> I would choose not to work for the evil overlord. Great. Wouldn't you always be planning for that person to come for you? This guy is an idiot, Andrew. I guess I don't want to defend the writing here, but this guy isn't smart. Yeah. Nothing that he does in this entire episode or the previous episode where the breakout was show us that this person has forethought, intelligence, yeah. or planning capability. Okay. He's uh, installed because he literally is related to them. It's like yeah. this is what happens with cronyism, right? Like that's literally the this. It's like you get terribly run operations like this. Yep. Saru's trying to come up with his word. I enjoy, this is my favorite part of this episode was Saru trying out new words. It's very it's very like, self aware, right? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Execute, Tilly, I think, is what he's going to end up with. Uh, Tilly gives him a few different ones, uh, and everyone kind of is like, "Hmm." Yeah. No, th- when he said execute, everyone looked at him like, "What are we supposed mm, to do here?" Yeah, I thought that he said "do it" before this. Uh. Don't, Maybe I'm wrong. Whatever. I don't recall that. Later in this episode, he goes with carry on, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so now we know that the signal, there's a signal in a nebula, and that's the point of origin for the burn. Okay. And the signal in the nebula is music, and now we've gone full Battlestar song. Because the lullaby that everybody knows in the entire universe that didn't exist back in the past but exists in the future and is underneath everything emanates from the nebula and everybody knows the music. But JJ... It's good that they're trying to explain this because it was a ridiculous plot hole before. Well, now, but now we're getting into like the universe is controlled by a song and the song is the cultural memory across the stars and it's like... I saw this in Battlestar and it worked out okay, but not great, you guys. So maybe we don't go down the same road. Uh, I, I don't... mean, I don't know. It, I think you're reading too much Battlestar into this. We don't know what it is yet. Okay, well, we maybe we do know what it is because Saru says to take the nebula's distortion away and only play the lowest tone from on the other side of the nebula or something. Or a star is interfering. Oh, he yeah, he Saru is. They're like, oh well, there's some interference, but this is like you know we can clearly get it, uh, or whatever. And Saru can hear the like ultra low frequency of the star vibration, which is the real thing in astronomy. The stars vibrate out there, and you can listen to it. Uh, but it's really it's like 
impossible for humans to hear because it's like way, way, way below the level of human hearing. Um, but Saru, not being human, has ears apparently that can hear these crazy low sounds. Okay. So, uh, he he picks up that oh, there's some kind of weird star or something there. So y'all should filter that out, I guess. Okay. And once they yeah, filter it out, the song is actually a Federation distress signal? Or something like that. So yeah, that's yeah. what I couldn't sort through here. Once they remove the distortion, they're left with a Federation distress signal. So does that mean that the nebula turned the distress signal into a song? I'm not clear. I don't think it. the implication is that the song... I don't think the implication is that the nebula did it. I think the implication is that the distress signal was being masked by the song. Okay. Uh, start pod track, pod trek at we were gamers. No podcast no, at we were gamers. Don't, don't email that one podcast. at we were gamers. If you understood yeah. this better than we do, uh, not yeah. the actual science of it, please don't. But like what the story was going for. If you understood I can guarantee the writers don't care about the science, so neither do we. Yeah, but it is. I am what like what they were attempting to do here in the story. I would like to know. I don't get. And it. maybe I guess I maybe they're going to go into it more later. Maybe, I probably. I would assume. Uh, and then we get to the rest of the episode, which almost doesn't matter. Uh, it. I mean, it does matter. Book. Yeah, it they. They. We care about Book's character. We like him a lot. Yeah, I like Book. It it matters because in the end, Book wants to buy in to the Federation, right? That's right. a that's a big change for his character, so that's important. Yeah, he definitely uh, he definitely becomes a different person, right? Like at the end of this. Uh, yeah, Cleveland Booker is the name we know him as, but he hits the planet, uh, and we're supposed to meet his brother Kahim. And his brother Kahim calls him Turex. Yes. Which is, uh, I guess, his old name or like a family name or something like that. Yeah. I, I got the impression that this was his like given name from this planet. Uh, and when he left, he took a different one. Yeah. That was the, I don't know if that's exactly what's going on here or not, but that is the, so he left Quajon because his, bro his adopted brother, Kahim, uh, was like working for the Os Osiris syndicate, I guess, yeah. by giving seemed, a, a it, trans worms away. And it, it seems like what happened is the brother took some help from the syndicate uh the emerald chain people and as that goes they give you a little bit and they take a lot that's how these sure basically go, right? right yeah because they have and, some sort of pest called a sea locust that is overtaking the planet um right. which again discovery solves in five dude i i wrote that down at the end of this i was so pissed off every episode dude i was so pissed every off every episode like literally Vulcan, Vulcan, he, even the episode we liked Vulcan problem that they for hundreds of years that they've been ashamed about discovery solves in five minutes. Yep. Uh, you know, I just don't get it. I don't episode. get why they would say like literally Booker says when they hit the planet, Oh, our scientists have been working on this forever, but we just can't find the solution. And literally the solution is like, 
Hey, using using a beam from the starship, we linked all the things together. Now you can use your telepathy to just move them. It was like, what? Are you kidding me? Not even like, they're not even trying. No. Yeah. Oh, Uh, man. It's every episode in this show. Yeah. I'm just saying, it really is. It is every episode. Even the episode we liked the most had it. So, yeah. There you go. Admiral Um, Charles Vance. I finally found his name. Hey, he has a name. He's That's really good. Cool. I wanted to know his name because he's really good. Um, I think there's uh, some good parts peppered here in the middle of this uh, episode. We get a good scene with Detmer and Rin. De- oh, yeah. Name? Rin is an Andorian who apparently betrayed Osiris. So the only reason that Booker was asked to come back to Quajin Qua- uh, was because Kaihim his brother mm-hmm. knew that he had Rin with him. Yes. And so Osiris wants Rin back. Right. Exactly. Uh, Unexplainedly until the very end here, but yeah. Uh, so it's kind of like, I, again, I don't understand warlords cause you'd assume Rin has already given that information away. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you, well, it, I think the, I I think as the warlord, you want that guy back, knowing that he's given it away anyway, so that you can torture him to find out who else knows, so you can go kill them too. I mean, it's too late once he's told one person. We're in a, a galaxy of people with interconnected. I, I just don't get it. Like, nah, man, nah, nah, nah. I guess with the subspace not- relays down, maybe you could excise the problem, but yeah. Eh. Not with Discovery anymore, because they can just I go mean, wherever I, they want. I I mean, I think that the uh, that o, uh, Osira probably is pretty used to being able to get whatever she wants. She knows she's had her thumb on this guy for a really long time. She knows he's uh, very afraid of her, so she's probably uh-huh. uh, willing to believe that he wouldn't say anything right. unless put under duress, and she probably thinks the Federation wouldn't do that. Yeah. Whatever. Um, she wants him back. Maybe she likes him. I don't know. Who cares? Whatever. Yeah, there's some good scenes there. I don't particularly love scenes like this where we use a high-stress situation to, in the middle of it, calmly solve two characters' problems. It's like they're in the middle of a fight. Like, there's no time for the, like, I'm going to give you a speech thing. I don't... I, it's just not a, a conceit that I particularly love. But what comes out of it, especially with with Rin and Detmer and like him starting to trust the Federation instead of worrying about what the, uh, Emerald chain is going to do. Also, I love the Emerald chains tagline, by the way, they must have thought this out in advance, but like she says at the end, Osiris says at the end, you're going to feel the full weight of the chain. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful, it's beautiful. It's so good. It's such a great threat and also ties into the name. Yeah. I think, uh, I wonder why you would ever name your criminal syndicate a chain. The chain is a thing you break. No, you it's want a, to talk about I mean, it's not always a thing you break, right? Yeah, but it is a thing that gets broken. It's also, a, a, you know, there's so many, we could... There's so many, many metaphors sure, for a chain. Sure. 
I just think that it is a strange, a strange thing to name your criminal syndicate when why don't you name your criminal syndicate after something like unambiguously powerful and scary? Yeah. When you choose something with a bunch of mixed metaphors, I don't know. It wouldn't be my choice. That's a good question. And why would the Andorians stand for emerald since that's the green is the color of Orion's, but they're blue, you know, like it's a good question. Um, this book has a really good line in this that I wanted to shout out. I mean, Kaheem says like, why, why are you being this way? Why'd you leave the planet? Why are you not chill with me helping our planet? And he said, uh, and then, uh, he says that his father and grandfather died asking for him, uh, because he won't call himself Turex anymore. And he said, you're either a man of character or you aren't. And I think that's Booker's turning point right there in that line. Booker has multiple times since we started this season said that he's interested in himself and doing what he wants to do. Right. Right. And like Booker has like very clearly been like, I am technically here, but y'all don't control me. I'm along with this ride because I like Burnham. Yeah. Well, he said in the previous episode, what am I going to do? I'm just going to live in the shuttle bay in my ship. Like what, you know, like, I don't know what my plan is here, but clearly the development of the relationship over the last three episodes with book and Burnham is something permanent, right? Like, I don't think either one of them is considering it to not be permanent based on a lot of the lines between their two characters. So, they had to write him in somehow permanently. Yeah. I think this was a, as good of a way we're going to get that arc resolved in a short time frame, yeah. which I think they need. I mean, it works for me, right? The Federation uh, saved yeah, his planet with no strings attached, it, basically. Right. Right. The, you know, the thing they, they even talked about it earlier in the episode. Um, but like the, the thing they went over is that, well, there's always a, there's always a string with the Federation, right? What do you people want? There's always something. Uh, and they're like, no, man, we're just here to help. You know, we actually are seriously just here to help. We'll show you. Look, we're helping. Okay, we're not asking for anything. Thank you. That was it. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, you know, um, in that Picard book, they talk about how the Federation and and the, the Vulcan president also uh, hints at a lot of the stuff in that book about how the Federation had become something different than what they're trying to aspire to now and what they're going to have to change Admiral, what did I just say his name? Charles Vance's opinions on in terms of what they're trying to accomplish, right? By the time Picard happens and seems like much into the future, the Federation becomes an unwieldy large organization that has the big planets earth vulcan um that use the little planets right there becomes an underclass in the federation and there are planets that are there to serve and planets that are there and it's not intentional in terms of like a malicious thing but it becomes an inadvertent byproduct of the, the size and importance of of certain areas of the Federation. And so rebuilding this organization by saying, well, let's 
really recommit ourselves to the ideals, right? We're here to be Starfleet and to help people, but we're not worrying about creating the Federation. We're not going to try and convince Navarre in this five minutes to become what the uh, if, what they used if to be. If at the end, uh, I would have hated, I would have liked Episode 7 less if at the end of that episode the the president had been like, let's join the Federation. Yeah. Well, and, and the same thing, not believable. the same thing happened on Trill, right? Hey, when you got your stuff back together, Trill, Trill would like to talk, but we're not ready yet. Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that part of the, you have to, even though discovery solves everyone's problems in five minutes after showing up that have been around for a hundred years, if you want us to believe the problems are real, you can't solve them like that. Yeah. And so, you know, the, it is good that they don't solve or they, the big problems, which in, I guess the mind of this show is the Federation having been crumbled and the burn and all this stuff are the thing that aren't solved in five minutes. I would also, the other centuries long conflicts are the ones that get solved. I would like to not, ask you, I would like to ask you what your opinion is of how ridiculous or not ridiculous the idea of I'm not breaking my orders of interference if I have a ship fly out of my cargo hold and attack them instead of my main ship. Uh, Andrew, that person went rogue. I don't know what you're talking about. They disobeyed my order not to do this and did it. <sighs> it doesn't matter. The effect is the same, right? We turned off the, We turned off the recording so no one heard us planning it. The effect is the same, right? Like, the Emerald Chain is against Starfleet now. Yeah, but they already were, right? Like, that, it didn't... Okay, I understand your point. You're correct. They made the situation worse. Not wrong. And, and but, like, if and, you're gonna do it, just do it. Will, and the Admiral will rightly be mad. Right. Well, this way you have plausible deniability. You can tell the Admiral, we didn't disobey your orders, Right. And the, the Admiral has to admit that they are technically correct. Because if Saru did it, right, he could be, the Admiral could just say, all right, well, you're off the, you're off the ship now because you, yeah. you can't follow orders. Yeah. So now that now he can't do that because he's technically correct. This is the, like, Captain Kirk walking the fine line after he punched out the ambassador. It never works for Kirk, and it's not going to work yeah, here. <laughs> Exactly, it's not going to work. Obviously, the next episodes we're going to be fighting the Emerald Chain. I'm sure. Yeah, like that's going to be the thing. Yeah, but we were going to be fighting the Emerald Chain anyway, since they were being set up as these big bad guys. Sure, of so, course. But know. so then, why have the plausible deniability? Why not be the captain that said, "Hey, you know, you said not to get involved. I understand, but in the observation capacity, we observed the fact that they were going to obliterate the planet, and mm -hmm. we said no." You know? Yeah. It, it, captains have the ability in Starfleet to make these types of decisions, which is exactly what he admonished Saru for not doing earlier. Yeah. So the growing yeah. moment here is, yeah, he interfered, I guess. But, like, the real growing moment would have been for him to say, I will interfere. He ex pretty explicitly endorsed this plan. I get it. But so since he explicitly endorsed it, and since we're going to be at the thing anyway, why why do the convoluted thing other than to have the Rin Detmer moment? I don't get it. 
I mean, you know, I'm pretty sure you figured it out. The Rin Detmer moment was the thing. Yeah. But also, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It, you know, the uh, I'm overthinking it, it is what your problem you, is. Certainly. But also there is a thing I have noticed in this Star Trek since the new, all of the new Star Treks that have come back. They don't find the capital ship battles to be interesting or exciting, so they always want to pivot to using small things that can fly around and shoot stuff. They never want to have the big ships fly around and shoot each other. It's so much more exciting to me to have the big ships do stuff. I I hear you, but that's not what the show has shown to ever want to do. Yeah. And that is a outside, you know, that's a metagame reason, not, sure. not a... Within game reason, within lore, within game, in game reason. Okay, I don't, I, I don't know what the word like meta gaming is. The thing that I'm, I'm doing here with this, but it's like meta, meta showing or whatever. Yeah, I don't know what the word is. Podcast at We Were Gamers. If you know what the word for the thing that I'm talking about is, nice. But yeah, I don't know. This was fine. Whatever. I have no problems this- overall with it. I think that how we get there sometime. This is. <laughs> Here's here's my review of Discovery in general. I like where we got to. I didn't like how we got there. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, exactly. sure, I'm in Hawaii now, but I really didn't want to be on that cargo ship for three weeks. Yeah, man, being in this hold really sucked. But it was nice when I got to Hawaii. Yeah, right? and I had a yeah. lot of good conversations along the way. I mean, with me and this, <laughs> me and this tennis ball named Wilson had a great talk. Me and these rats... Yeah, it was great. Yeah. I promoted somebody to XO of my cargo hold. Sweet. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. It is what it is. The Jet yeah, Reno was it, there. <laughs> Gotta be somewhere, I guess. I guess. I, I would love to know where Jet Reno has been for three episodes. Um, the, you know, in some ways, though, your analogy is not too far off of the problem, I think, you and I both have with this show overall, right? It, it, we are on a ship and the ship is going somewhere. We have no control over that whatsoever. And we're just kind of along for the ride. And it is nice that sometimes on that ride, you get some sweet, really good Star Trek episodes like episode seven here. And then sometimes you get not so great ones like episode six. And then yeah. sometimes they're just there, like episode eight. It's very weird how uneven some stuff is in this show. And yeah. and it really is starting to come down to, like, who wrote or who directed. And, like, and, and this is just not even... I mean, this show has been on for three seasons now. Yep. And the seasons have been pretty different from each other. Yep. But you would think at this point that they would have... Three seasons later into a show like this, they would have you know, sort of solidified the kind of thing they want to do, but they keep every season, they keep changing so much. They never get a chance to find a rhythm and come into a, like a tone and a set of things and and something that is like stable at a level that everyone likes. Right. Let's say how let's give them props here too. You're correct that each season is, is so it's a curveball each time to know what you're going to get. But towards the end of season two, and season three in its entirety so far, they finally said, yeah, each episode we're going to solve a little problem, but every problem is in service of 
the narrative. the The show is now a narrative only show. Mm-hmm. We are not doing the thing where we solve problems and don't solve any narrative for the whole episode. We went to mm-hmm. Vulcan and we had a great episode at Vulcan. Sorry, Navarre. Uh, and yeah, the side story there is great and the best part of it, but it was all in service of this exact part of the meta narrative, which I think is the thing that we wanted them to do last season. We wanted them to pick what they wanted to do and they finally picked. And so season three, while uneven in a different way is now at least not whiplashing us between types of shows. Yeah, okay. I I agree with you. I think you are right about this. And it is definitely... Uh, it doesn't feel like I'm wondering if this show is going to be a Monster of the Week type show, right? They're not... I, I am always clear that this season is going to be about figuring out the burn, right. right? It was from episode one to episode eight so far. Every episode has had some reference to it in some way yep. moving that story it, forward. It is and nice so, to now know, okay... The end of this season will be fighting, if not defeating, but probably still fighting the Emerald Chain in some mm-hmm. huge battle at the end of it. Yep. While at the same time, we will probably solve the burn by the end of this season because of how quickly they're moving on it and how it seems like they need to desire to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that there will be you know, some sort of exploration of the captaincy of Saru a development of a new thesis for Starfleet. You know, they're they're creating yep. a meta universe in the future where they are having narrative control and they can change as much as they want. It seemed like that yeah. show previous to now, especially in episode one, had to tap dance as much as possible. And even then, they missed and stepped on stuff, right? Like, mm-hmm. all the mm-hmm. time. Like, oh, why do these Klingons look different? Why does this? Why does that? And 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 yet felt like uh we can't we can't do that, so we gotta do this. Oh, do you think it was a mistake for them to originally set this show in the past? Should they have just started this show in the future as a ship from the future in the future federation? that is broken up and the burn happened and all this stuff. Like if, if discovery had just been a ship from this time and the series started here, would it be a better show? You think? I think if the show had started mid season two, maybe it's really tough to know because she's Spock's sister. Yeah, and you would have so had much her. hinges on her being Spock's sister. Well, certainly all of season two does. Season right? three now does too, and right? Episode seven does anyway, yeah. Um, that it's so integral that I can't... But if I tried to imagine around it, I would still say them jumping forward in time. It's just like, okay, if we start a show this far in the future, am I invested or do I care about any of these people? Probably not. Yeah, I get it. It's hard. Um, I just, I just wonder, like, if this was always where they wanted to get. Did they that, want to get to a place where they were free from all the shackles of the old Star Trek? This war? is why they they jump Picard into the future instead of where the book starts, right? Like that book is now more important than ever. The last best hope because it it is integral to two series in terms of understanding why. 
the Romulans are who they are in the future in Discovery I mean, and Picard and all this stuff. And so, like, I, mean, I think, sorry, what? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, it, it, I would say not two full series. You don't. It's really only episode seven. Sure, but like having the knowledge in episode seven. You know, I, I'm guessing going. Sure, it makes it better. Yeah, I'm guessing sure going forward too, it's going to be important as we develop Navarre, right? Um, we'll see if we come back. I'm not sure that we will. Okay. Um, it's. Jeez, you asked a really good question. I just <sighs> this show and Picard because- were in yeah. development at the same time. It took a lot longer right. to develop Picard because they wanted Patrick Stewart and Patrick Stewart needed the show to be a certain thing or he wouldn't mm. do it. Right. If they wanted them to be connected, if they wanted both of them to feel like new universes, which they do. Mm-hmm. They definitely do. Because both of them try as hard as they possibly can to connect to things you know and call outs for things you like, like Picard is somewhat connected to the Borg, but how much of the Borg mattered at the end of all that? Yeah, basically none, right? It's really disappointing. And so like, why tap dance through all of it instead of trying to start fresh is a good question. I don't know that I have the answer. Yeah. Like that's my question. And I think that my my overall unsolvable problem with discovery and maybe it is better now that they're in the you know in the far future where they can kind of just do what they want i hope so i mean i have liked some of these season 3 episodes pretty like episode 7 was a really great episode yeah. and i i just hope that it allows them now to do this narrative structure and to just kind of do and write the show that they want to write and sh- and make rather than feeling like they have to do a bunch of tap dancing. And, and when they want to make a homage, obviously they can do it and they can do an amazing job of it, right? Yeah. If we And when they want to just do their own thing, they can do that too. Yeah. And both of those are okay and things that if they want to do them, they should. Yeah. Uh I just wonder if all of the baggage of the the old Star Trek stuff, like could they have gotten here quicker? If they didn't have to do all that stuff. And so that's what I wondered a little bit about the first season when I realized that Picard was in development at the same time Mm -hmm. was like, was the first season of this a placeholder almost? Yeah, it kind of feels that way, right? You know, especially after what happens in the second season. Yeah. And then the second season, they start to develop what ends up being maybe the long arc of this thing. You know, I don't know how much they have planned out and how long they expect it to run, but like clearly this season is not the end. You know, there's not enough time to solve, Hey, let's rebuild the Federation. Right. And they're like very clearly not going to do that by the end of this season. Right. right? Even if they they ever do it, you know? Yeah. Like if the continuing thesis of this show, or the, the plan of this show is the Federation has been crippled. We want to rebuild the Federation. That could be a good show. Yeah. You can make a show about that. That would be very interesting. Yeah. But that is a more interesting starting point than we're a random ship with a magical spore drive technology that jumps around and does wars or whatever. I, yeah, I would absolutely watch a show of this character who used to be X, who caused the Klingon War, 
who caused the rift in time, who did all these mm-hmm. things, becomes Spock. Yeah, if, Bur- to, if Burnham well, turns into her brother, right, and becomes the great unifying ambassador for this new universe, I'm okay if that's the show we want to work on here. Yeah. So I, I'm just, I, uh, you know, we're a little past halfway, I think, in this season uh, now. Yeah, I think there are 13 episodes. So I'm, I'm just curious, man. I'm, I'm super interested to see where it goes. Yeah, I am finally at the same place as you where, like, I'm not thinking, oh, no, here's where we're headed, and I don't know if it's going to be any good, uh, versus, like, I think I know where we're headed, and that's cool. Like, it's fine. Yeah, we've it's got fine. a narrative structure that makes some sense. We know everybody's motivations, finally. People aren't doing random things anymore. Yes. Just to advance Gosh. plot, because we spent two episodes doing some other thing instead of advancing plot. Yeah, they're, they're giving themselves time to enjoy the problem of each episode while at the same time pushing forward the narrative. And so mm-hmm. this is a much seven and eight, especially show a much better balance than we've ever seen before. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. And I think the, you know, the, the low light of episode six, Ugh. even, even was not a great episode not not it's certainly the least good of these three it's funny because it's got Giorgio so heavily in it and i like i love her character and there was we didn't talk about it but like Giorgio was like on the table and stuff a lot they were doing a lot of examination of her in the last episode as well yeah whatever i mean they say she's dying but he says she's not dying it's just like one of those there's some we're gonna remind you every episode there's something wrong with her yeah, and then we're going to resolve her arc, right? One time, gonna yeah. Some- we're going to just we're going to keep reminding you until we just pick an episode to resolve her arc. Yeah, whatever. It is what it is. I mean, like you know, like the rest of this stuff. Yeah, it is what it is. I mean, do they so. send her back to the? They can't keep breaking the temporal accords, I guess. Oh, uh, uh, you're not breaking a temporal accord to go to the mirror universe, though. That's true. Yeah, good point. I don't know. Does she have to like dip her toe back in the mirror universe every so often to like restabilize her face I guess, or something. My guess would be they either have to send her back in time or send her back to the mirror universe because the mirror universe is now too far apart from her. That's my yeah. working theory on what's wrong with her, right? Like the universes are now I mean, too far apart for her to be stable. Yeah, that's certainly what is what they're implying here. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I think we'll just have to see what we get in the next three here. Yeah. So we'll uh, do, there'll be two more episodes of this series of podcasts we'll do the next three and then the final two right so if you're watching with us next time is 9 10 11 for march and then 12 and 13 in april and then we'll have to figure out something else to do yeah man what are we gonna because we don't get any shows for a while they're delayed due to covid so Mm. we'll see maybe maybe the animated one will get done by then but we'll see i don't think so yeah i don't know i don't know that there's gonna be a uh there's gonna be the animated one that soon yeah maybe we'll finally do that episode on the the uh conundrum of transporters <laughs> mm-hmm. there's a lot to talk about there yep so anyway uh if people want to get at us they can find us on the internet at we were gamers on all kinds of social media twitter and facebook and instagram and 
wherever fine podcasts are distributed, you can find this one, Su- Subspace Transmission. If you search for We Were Gamers, you'll find it right there. Uh, you want to email us, as we have mentioned several times. If you have answers to any of those questions, please email us. We truly do want to know. Yeah. You can send that to podcast at wewergamers.com. I think a lot of people uh, think cynically that um, podcasts ask for emails for quote-unquote engagement. Uh, mm-hmm. We ask for emails because no research. And uh, also because we know people are out there with more information than us. And so there is genuine curiosity behind saying, if you know, then email us. Yes. And like the result of it may just be that we read your email and feel like we know more. It doesn't necessarily necessarily produce hashtag content for this pod. Yeah. Oh yeah. It hardly, I mean, hardly ever, I guess. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. it's not about hashtag content here. This is yeah. the name of the pod. I would like to say, because maybe we don't, we've talked about it on the main pod and maybe you guys only listen to the sub pods, one of them or both of them or all of them or whatever. Um, the name of the pod is important because it's, it's a thesis of what we care about, right? Like mm-hmm. we're not, this is not the uh, hashtag content creator pod. This is not the we want to be streamers pod. This is not the we're going to be professional podcasters pod. It's literally like the dudes who used to play games and talk about stuff pod trying to chill. This is the chill pod where if you like Star Trek, just come hang out with people that like Star Trek. And that's literally why we started it. We, I don't think even Discovery was out when we initially started it, was it? It must have been, I guess. Uh, it's, yeah, I don't. I don't think. Um, I don't think it was our original thesis uh, to do our, Discovery think, right away. We started talking about TNG. Yeah, uh, I think our and we were like, we should just talk about TNG while we're recording it. Yeah, I, I think the original idea was like, man, I just want to watch some Star Trek. There's so much Star Wars all the time. I don't want to talk about Star Wars because I don't like it. And I like Star Trek. <laughs> that was we, hey, we were really frustrated with it at that point in time. We, we ranked, um, I think we ranked the shows was our first episode. Mm-hmm. And then Star Trek Las Vegas announced Picard. Yes. Uh, yeah, and so that was, that was our second episode. Uh, and we fantasy drafted bridge crews. We should get back to doing some of that type of stuff too after we're done with Discovery yeah. season three. Yeah, I wonder if we have to go back and change our rankings now that we have Discovery in there. So does Saru count as the captain and Pike? I mean, Pike is it? Pike would count certainly, and Saru would be separate from Pike. I would say they're not the same person, right? Yeah. So what was that? I think that was episode three when we ranked captains. I can't remember. It's a while ago. Anyway, it's on there somewhere. Scroll back far enough, they'll find it. Yeah. If you go to our website and you search the podcast page for subspace, or you go to YouTube for subspace, you can okay. find all that stuff. Yeah, episode three. Oh, mentor, it's my really... mentor. That what a good name. I'm so good at naming yeah. stuff sometimes. Uh, it is very easy to go on YouTube and search for all this stuff by pod and yep. uh, categorized into playlists and stuff. So yep. that's very helpful. All right. Well, uh, now that's enough about that. And uh, until next episode, what did he say? He said, carry on. Yeah, I don't know about that one either. (laughs) I think you might have to keep trying. Keep going, Saru. Bye.